Should we do FF? I could, I could go FF. I could go MCMLXXV. I I like the idea of MCMLXXV. I've read that. I've I read FF. I'm kind of into the idea of getting detective in there, or not. I'd, I don't know. I would look to hear about detective. Um, let's. I'll I'll throw MCMLXXV in. Do we have to refer to it that way? I don't know how else to refer to it's it. It's 1975. Okay, cool. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know the MCML. It's Roman letters Roman and numerals. Roman numerals. Do you know all of those? It's his Did name. You, I wish I could Google say it. I, I googled it. Yeah. Roman, you little. It's your goddamn but, name. But, but I thought when I was reading, I was like, man, this guy. It's be 1975. Well, no, it's got to be. You, 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 well, you no, ignorant because, shit. Because oh wait, no, I googled it. <laughs> I was starting to suspect because of the cars and the clothes and Times Square. and girls and listen oh, to ye matchy. four old gentlemen who gather weekly on uh, Bellingham's perfectly acceptable podcast. Gather around, gather around. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, oh, oh. To the fireplace. Yes, yes. Crisscross applesauce. Crisscross applesauce. Listen, let me tell you a story. Every every week, four brave gentlemen go to UPS store yonder um, and to Jana they do talk, and um, then they get the books back and um, sort them 99 <laughs> times. And uh, I was not as nervous when I started, but now I'm playing with my fingers. And someone take it away from me. I, I think it's just really fun when we all get to go in and talk to Jana together. Oh, hey. UPS, like, our box, we we didn't get them all this week. Yeah, we, you left one in Idaho. Yeah. yeah. What was that about? Where is it? Idaho. Oh, Django's back. Alaska. Hey, everybody, mm. uh, it's Papcast episode 99! 99! Yeah. Uh, thanks for all the suggestions about alternative names for our podcasts. You guys really came through on that. Um, We've decided to go with all of them. In the form of the perfectly acceptable name cast, <laughs> um, where every week we gather to comic a, name cast. Sorry, comic name cast. Uh, um, um, and uh, yeah, I spoilers. There's gonna be those, and next week's a hundred, and uh, it's gonna be fancy. What what are we reading this week? Uh, this, is, this week we're gonna talk about Fantastic Four number two. She could fly number three. Uh, M-C-M-L-X-X-V, which in Roman numerals, Roman's numerals, means 75, duh. 1,975, number one. Thank you, royalties for me. House of Whispers, number one. Journey into Mystery, the Birth of Krakois, number one. Domino, number six. And the one that I said we were going to talk about last. Uh, Cemetery the, Beach, number in, one. In the middle of that, I got a text message from Justin and it said, <laughs> Coleslaw. Why does it always have to be coleslaw? <laughs> um, which uh, really, little ham boy. Which really pays off pretty well for the whole bit that we were doing before we started the podcast where we talked to Jay Houston on the phone. Um, hey, everybody. Thanks for bearing with us through that intro. I'm Jeff. 
and I think I've got my confidence back. Uh, I'm Braden, and I'm uh, happy to help you get your confidence back. I'm Django. I'm Roman. I've I've also got Jeff's confidence back. Ah. Uh. Oh. If, and hey, listen, everybody, if Django sounds like a big old wolf captain tonight, it's because <laughs> his mic got stolen by Brayden. And in upset of 2018, uh, Brayden is in Django's seat on his mic with his mic cord. Yeah. Uh, he's got his backpack on. Uh, he's wearing his cool hat. It's no longer a trucker hat because he lost the other one or something. Yeah. Can you tell me what went into this play? Well, I decided I wanted to be the owner. So I took it. I think that we should <laughs> let him do that. I agree. And we should go do anything else. <laughs> Did you ever start a restaurant before? How no. about a bar? <laughs> Want to open a bar, Jeff? A barcade. Jeff? A barcade. Let's open a barcade. <laughs> All right. That's like a dog thing. Let's make a new, or just our podcast that we do on Wednesday nights without this place will be us making the plans for a barcade and getting the business going. Oh, mm. yeah. That's a good idea. You know, this new position that I'm in. Which here, is next to the owner, yes, on, a, on a different mic, uh, means that I get to play footsie with Roman instead of Jeff. Ooh. Are those? Is that footsie? I always think it's a. I always think it's an accident. I mean, I get to accidentally <laughs> run my foot all the way up. Accidentally, leg. yeah. Accidentally, <laughs> I stop my leg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roman, classic thing reference. It's a totally different situation in this seat. <laughs> scared of it. What's it going to do? Um, Fantastic Four, number two by Dan Slott, Sarah Pacelli, and Marta Gracia. What did you guys think of Fantastic Four, number two? I, Roman, you said earlier that you didn't like it as much as number one, and I basically feel the same way. It was... Yeah, it wasn't quite as quite as thrilling. But we do get to, I guess I'd forgotten when they went off into space adventuring at the end of Secret Wars, maybe? Yeah. That they took the whole future foundation with them. I forgot all those kids were with them. And Dragon Man, and Mole Men, and whoever else is in the Future Foundation. There's a Wakandan girl, I think. Um, I would say they sound different enough from the awesome Hickman characters that you could just largely consider them not the FF kids. So I was wondering... Snarky! Are all, are, Jesus, are, Jesus, yeah. Snarky! <laughs> they're the same the kids. The syrup of a <laughs> snake on his tongue. It got me wondering, though. I mean, people think... Uh, Reed and Sue and their kids apparently are dead. Do they think all these other kids are also dead? Uh, nobody knew about those other kids because they were only in the Hickman book. Well, um, no. They were around in other stuff. Yeah, no, one of I them is. Correct. But they one were, of them is Alex Power from Power But, Pack. like, I don't think that anybody post-Secret Wars remembered the worlds before it, except for the people that were alive on the boat. So there was only, like, four or five people that would have remembered them. Were there the only four or five people that would have remembered Sue and Reed? I thought everybody remembered them. I, I like Spidey remembers Reed. Yeah. Well, but yeah, okay, so that one doesn't make as much sense. But I thought that in the rebooted like world, they didn't remember the worlds that all died beforehand because oh. like reality restarted. Well, yeah, except for the people who shuttled true. over. Yeah. So like those people would remember, but at the same time, how can you have a? You're right. Like how could you have a world where no one would remember Reed yeah. and Sue? That doesn't make like, sense. Like what's her name? The power girl that's in Runaways mm-hmm. must remember her brother, who's in Future Foundation. It's weird seeing brilliant four-year-old Valeria suddenly, like, what, 14 and flirting with the alien prince dude? Yeah. <laughs> also, in all of the Marvel comics, there's nothing that upsets me more than 
Namor and Sue Richards. So, oh, that was a great Sorry. joke in it when Brayden, you, <laughs> you horrible, horrible Namor apologist. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite moment of the issue when Ew. Sue Sue says the thing to read about. What, what did she say? She says a line about bare-chested, uh, pointy ears, yeah, flirting. Assholes. You'll get it, Reed. Yeah. And Reed finally clues in and go, oh, this is like Namor and you. Oh, crap. Come on, Valeria. I liked, <laughs> I liked that, too, until the narrator said, Google Namor and Sue. The fanfic's fun, but it's not canon. And I was like, thanks. I got it. I got it like seven panels ago. Yeah, I, I didn't... I didn't love that, but it's only because I that whole thing makes me want to throw up. Because Namor, leave her alone. Uh, it's creepy. He did eventually. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> stance to take. Basically, this issue <laughs> takes place on the other half of what happened in the first issue, which we're just hanging out with Reed and Sue and the kids where they are, leading up to the moment that that big force projected into the sky. And then that was Reed and Sue um, bringing the Fantastic Four to the planet they're on. And to fight a big old baddie, and uh, surprise, they didn't just bring uh, Johnny and Ben, they brought every person who'd ever been a Fantastic Four member to beat this big, uh, intimidating foe. And I thought that was a pretty who good... Who is this foe? Did they <coughs> show him yet? She's the embodiment of entropy, right? Yeah, she's, she's that devourer woman. Oh, okay. right, right, okay. Designed by the same person that designed the, uh, uh, the Batman Who Laughs. Hmm. I didn't know Namorita was once in the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Roman, you're supposed to know these things. Name I, cousin. I guess I don't have the same connection to the Fantastic Four kids that you guys do. I don't mind the kids aging. I think if you have a kid who's always four years old and super smart forever, it's a little bit kind of kind of a cheat, kind of boring. I agree with you there. Uh, she didn't translate as super smart in this. You could explain no. it with uh, just raging hormones and kind of leveling out as you get older. I think you could um, largely explain with the fact that Dan Slott is not maybe the best at writing a super wide cast of voices. Yeah, I was I was going to say that that's, that's a pretty subtle thing to incorporate. And uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like coleslaw and ham. Big old and, coleslaw uh, ham daddy. I like his ham hands in this book. His, uh, it's like ham fisted writing. Yeah, yeah. It's this is this is like big action movie Fantastic Four, not Hickman Fantastic Four. Right. I'm okay with it. I also don't hold the other one precious because I haven't read it all. Are you saying this is the Fantastic and Furious? Oh, Ooh, kind uh, of. You put Brayden in a room with three people who wish they were as clever as Brayden, and you were going to hear some pretty awkward jokes. <laughs> Try an upper game. Um, it's not, what? for me, as good as I would want it to be. It is better than I thought it might be yeah. when it was originally pitched to me as a Dan Slott Fantastic Four book. And that being said, I like it quite a bit. So I'm still going to give it an eight. Hmm. I give Fantastic Four two seven. Seven. Okay, not not a two point seven. Nope. Two seven. What do you give Four, it? Four two seven. Um I didn't read it. Oh. Um. <laughs> Roman, what'd you think? Yeah. Um I'll give it a I'll give it a seven. I'm definitely gonna continue with the series. It I loved issue one. This one was okay. Okay. I, I, I like the fact that Franklin's been creating universes for them to explore because after Secret Wars, there wasn't enough universes left, I think, is the reason they gave her that. You know what it was with um, um, Valerian Franklin being older? 
because not, not not enough time. When did Secret Wars latest one end? Two years ago? Um, a year ago? No, it, w- it was. Time's different there. <laughs> it's it's been. I, have been I think space, it was so yeah. happening right around the time we moved to this store. It ended. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was just jarring for me because all of a sudden she's like a few years older than I would have expected her to be at this time. Yeah. Oh, I'll let them. I'll let them bend time however they want if they're out in between space. Yeah, and they're in universes Franklin creates. So yeah, it's all pretty, and they've created loose. what like like eleven hundred or fifteen hundred universes or something like that. They've really added to the tapestry of the multiverse. Ah, but then they destroyed it, which yep, I they really sure, liked. They sure did. <laughs> I really like that, and I like the whole entropy villain thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't read She Could Fly number three yet. Oh, Neither have I. So tell me about it, Django. Did you read it, Brayden? I haven't read number two, I don't think. What Django, the fuck are we talking tell about? Tell me this. about this. Uh, this is the third issue how's, of... How's she doing? She's still flying? She <laughs> could fly. She can't fly, can't she but fly? she could. She can't uh, yet. No, she could not she can't fly, fly at the end of the first issue, guys. Think back. Think back two months. There's a flying girl uh, in this issue, it looks like, though. Can't wait to read this. Just... Uh, it's it's good. Man. It's uh, it continues more of the intrigue from that first issue. So most of this issue is not the uh, kind of psychosis study. Is that, is that the right right word? Yeah, like the, the study the, the OCD, OCD study yeah. Yeah, of anxiety. Yeah, um, it's still absolutely present, and cool. there are a couple of good pages where she just like um, the main girl is talking to the prostitute who has teamed up with the guy that, that yeah. invented the, the flying thing and wants Whoa. to steal it. And she's she's just listing off all of the horrible thoughts that she has wow. up to and including... Um, he just showed us a very large text bubble. Mm-hmm. And, and like three quarters of the way through, she's talking to this woman. She's like, I think about pulling on your hair and beating you and calling you a whore. And I think all these things all the time on repeat 24-7 and it never stops. Um so that that was a that was a really effective page for me. Yeah. Because I, I I I don't think like that, and I kind of struggle to identify with characters like this, and to have just this gigantic word dump of horrific things. That that was the way to the way to show me. So far, it's been holy shit. I'd give this an eight and a half. Nice. Hmm. Nice. Cool. I like that panel you showed us too, because that Love the that visual representation. Right away, just seeing that and you reading that little bit, a friend of mine who has borderline, she's like described her, like her normal thought process and her mm-hmm. nightly nightmares, and yeah, it's that kind of yeah violence yeah. thoughts yeah yeah really really well done, um, and just that that many words in a balloon are usually a little bit intimidating, but when I turned the page and saw that that was on the following page, I was like, fuck yeah, I can't wait to get to that. MCMLXXV, <laughs> um, issue number one, Roman, 1975. <laughs> Who of us read this book? Uh, Roman did. I did. Did all of us read this? We all read it. Nice. We haven't given credit to any of these creators. I gave credit oh. to my creators. Oh, I didn't. Lord Jesus God, thank you for birthing me. Into this world. <laughs> she could fly. Number three had Christopher Cantwell writing it, Martin Morazzo drawing it, and Miroslav Merva, uh, I think, coloring it. Yep, Amen. coloring it. Amen. MCMLXXV <clears throat> is by Joe Casey and Ian McGowan. I had no idea what to expect going into this book. I didn't either. Except for the cover was pretty sweet, and I also expected that 
most books by this writer, while I have never disliked anything he's written, um, are not usually talked much about. So why'd you read it? It's a number one. <laughs> it was a number one from Image with a super badass looking lady on the cover, and I thought that is a thing worth checking out. Um, I don't always what? do that. But that and I flipped through the issue as it came in, and the interior art was way better than I thought it would be. I read it for those reasons, and also I was curious. Her crowbar looks just like Mage's baseball bat. I was like, oh, they must both be magic. Mm. And they are. Did you read it, Braden? Yeah. Did you like it? It was cool. Um, I didn't love it. I like, uh, you know, as much as I like being just kind of thrown into a world, I could have used maybe a little more exposition. Um, but the action was all really fun. Uh, this character seems cool. I like the uh, this uh, night shift uh, radio program going on in the background. It's kind of that. a nice uh, like tone setting for everything, which is thought was pretty fun. It gave me a midnight train vibe from Jim Jarmusch, where mm, Tom Waits yeah. is the radio host. Mm. He's just telling stories with the radio host, kind mm. of tying everything together. Um. Yeah, I really like just the idea of that kind of super smoky, smooth jazz narration thing going over in the form of the radio station because it uh, is immediately evocative of like a feel to me. It w didn't take any effort to then sort of feel the whole thing cast in that tone. So the, the body language and the angles and the action, the motion in the art really made me think of Jeff Darrow when they started fighting. And Frank Miller a little bit for me. Yeah, there's definitely some Miller in there. Like the ninjas are Frank Miller ninjas. Right. But yeah. the way that her taxi is attacking them, th her taxi is a Jeff Darrow taxi. Yeah, no, the Jeff mm. Darrow thing I do totally agree it with. It also looked a little bit like the art from, um, what was that What was that book I was reading lately? Uh, Smoke Town. No, it's the it's the dark horse one that had the vinegar teeth. Yes, the gross guy. Yeah. The, the art looks like that, but just a little more grounded in reality. Yeah, liney, like with lots of like line shadows mm -hmm. and sort of thin line style. I'm I'm a real big fan of this art. I can't wait to see it in other stuff. Also, all those hats at the end look like inspired by Mobius hats, unless those hats are other places in fiction. No, that I just don't know. No, they are. The, they fight these. First she fights ninjas, then, they, then she's driving her cab and fights this gang of... I thought it was supposed to be a homage to was that movie um, with her chanting, Come Out and Play. Warriors. The Warriors, yeah. Oh, yeah, the whole thing kind of is. The monsters are very... Yeah, is, but, yeah, those, yeah, those they, guys, they, they even call monsters them... monsters in a flashback, too. They even call them the MG Azraks, which Azrak is from... That's the guys from that Mobius oh, story really? with those hats. Okay. They're called Azraks. Yeah, I guess I was just mostly really impressed with how awesome the art was and... Uh, and how much I just liked the feel of the world. And I love a double page. Yeah. Cover. Yeah, the feel of the world, the atmosphere. Once her, uh, the midnight overnight DJ guy boyfriend, once they get back to his apartment, they have that inset panel where it shows the Barry White album. I was like, yeah, I, I put on Barry White and Benny King, who has a quote in here, and listen to them while I was reading. Oh. It was a nice effect. God, that that's, didn't did that? go where I thought it was going. I thought he was going to say that he always listens to Benny Goodman when he makes love. Benny Goodman? Yeah, you know, like a nice polka, oh, oh. a nice, uh, a nice orchestra. That, well, that, that's a whole different, that's a whole different feel. But I yeah, put on Spike Jones. I love a Spike Jones joint when I'm trying. To... Yeah, he means the original Spike Jones. Oh, I, I, I was talking about the motion pictures. Gotta, gotta watch a Spike Lee joint. I give this an eight and a half. I'm going to keep reading it. It's, it's fluff, but it's, it's very cool, and I love the, the. 
references, like the constant references in this uh, tickled me. Yeah, and I'm curious about why apparently there's a, a lineage of these cab drivers that fight demons and ninjas and stuff in New York City. Yeah, I, I give it the same score that Django said uh, for the same reason, eight and a half, because I really dug it. I'm excited to read more. I'll give it an eight, yeah. Good solid eight. 7.5, uh, Curiosity Peaked. Curiosity peaked, and like, that's peaked with an I Q U E D, folks. House of Whispers by Nalo Hopkinson, Dominique Domo, uh, Stanton. Excuse me, I think you mean House of Whispers. Yeah, you have to whisper. I think you mean House of Whiskers. <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> My wolf tickets don't whisper. <laughs> no, it's not House of Whispers. They howl, yeah. Dominique Domo, Stanton, and John Rausch. I had a copy of that. Who? John Rausch. John Rausch. Rausch. Oh, who's Nalo Hopkinson? Uh, the writer? I think so. Did you say that? I did. Okay. You were busy making a whisper joke. Well, maybe if you laugh a little more. You whisper when you say that to me. <laughs> um, I don't know listen. Where my copy went. Maybe it's, I have your copy. Oh, okay. It's important that we talk about these books because I haven't read any of them and I intend to read all of them. So, how is it? Um, Django, introduce us to this world since you're actually from this world, kind of. Voodoo Man. Voodoo, voodoo World? Um. <laughs> Gosh, it starts with a party being held by, honestly, I didn't track this one very well. I'm sorry. Uh, it's be, it's being held by kind of a voodoo queen uh, mermaid, and people are bringing her gifts, and uh, there's, there's a lot of drama going on there. And at the same time, we're seeing a family at home who I believe are related to the either the queen or someone close to her. And... Uh, Weird, bad magic things happen. How, I, how was it? So far, this this goes on the bottom of my list of these books. The Sandman ones? Uh, yeah, and part of that is just that I've never really been super excited about kind of the politics of voodoo. I like voodoo stories. Um, I like the magic side of things, but when you get into, like, tithing and that, like... Just like the 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 social traditions of the like the voodoo thing, the the things that you have to give the voodoo priestess in order to get what you want from them, and it just doesn't grab me. Same thing in like a regular old fantasy nights and stuff. Like I don't care about your party. Show me show me after the party. I want to I want to see the swords. I want to see the magic, and I want to see the crawfish. Mm-hmm. I. Uh... I didn't track this issue super well either in terms of like the plot, but I liked all the parts that were in it still. Like, yeah. I like the family, and I'm curious about that whole dynamic. I, I love all the characters at this crazy voodoo party that this queen lady priestess is running. Um, I really like the kids back back in the real world. Yeah. Like, they're all hanging out and, and like babysitting each other yeah i really enjoyed that part that's fun i like uncle monday i guess is like this crocodile guy who's but still like humanoid he has this really cool bit where he talks about why he likes eating uh prawns like live and has this really cool payoff where he just like bites into one that's kind of horrifying but satisfying at the same time there's yeah there's a lot of cool cool parts floating around in here that i wasn't always able to follow but I still like. I still enjoyed the ride. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I pretty much agree with what you said, Braden. Um, that sequence where uh, Papa Monday 
that whole sequence where he bites into it, and, and the last thing he says about, oh, sure, there's a crawfish boil inside on the gallery stove if you prefer, if you prefer good and dead and artless. I like that his whole thing is about it's, it's eating it live, having it tortured and knowing the end is coming because he bites it, he chomps into it head first. I like that he, he considers that it's a cultured thing. It's art. How is this connected to the Sandman universe? At the uh-huh. very end, something goes wonky, and uh, there's there's a breach between our world and the the dreaming, and yeah. so the the party boat ends up in the dreaming. Huh. Yeah, the library. And there's a lot of breaching <clears throat> stuff going on in the last the other issue, which was the dreaming, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the whole conceit of the Sandman universe so far is that the dreaming is broken. And you, you that that's why we're reading these is because they're all going to connect to the dreaming okay. through, this, yeah. through this crack in the world. And this this is she a voodoo deity? Correct my pronunciation here, Django, if you can. Mistress Erzuli Freda Dahomey. Dahomey. Could you correct that for him, Django? <laughs> I know you are sort of culturally, socially, really tied to. I, I think you said it. As well as I would have, Roman. <laughs> really? I expect you to have an in on all this. You're a guy. Okay, answer me this. Roman I can never Jango. keep it straight. Is it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Putting you on the spot, Wolf Tick. Down there in Louisiana, is it crocodiles or alligators? Depends, right? Is there both? Yeah. How long it is depends. it going to be? Really? There's both? Yeah. Are you going to see them later? Or are you going to see them after a while? <laughs> 98, <laughs> buddies. 98. <laughs> if you didn't realize the glory of that payoff, you go back to last week. You go back to last week. Oof. That was what is it? Uh, alligators are freshwater, right? I don't know. I don't know. Either. I've never lived any place I had either. <laughs> what do you guys give it? Oh, uh, I'll give it. I'll give it a seven point five. I'm intrigued. I'll give it a six. I'll probably read the next one just because I'm curious about the Sandman and universe. And you're but... bound to books from Louisiana. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know Roman. all of the pronunciations. I can even pronounce yeah. L O A. But not Loa M C M L X X V. Nineteen seventy five. Oh, never mind. McMilksville. Um, seven point five. I like all of those things. Speaking of things. <laughs> oh! Did you guys read Journey into Mystery, number one, The Birth of Krakoa? I want to at did, some point. Did it have anything to do with the thing? I did. Um, it didn't. Uh, but, it's, uh, but it's by uh, Dennis Hopeless. Let me Hopeless. try that again. Uh, right, right, re segue, re segue. <laughs> uh, uh, Roman, it's your turn for a segue. Um, He's on the spot. Part, He's part, looking well, good. you know, part of this whole rift and the dreaming and everything, it does oh. kind of put you on a journey into mystery. Oh, yeah, there we Roman, go. That was fucking good. Uh, All right, now just edit the that. Journey into the that. House of Mystery. Ooh, uh, House no, of Mystery. Different book, actually. Yeah. That's Marvel. Bringing it back. Thank you. <laughs> House of Mystery was DC. You're yeah. saving me. Yeah. <laughs> saving you, Bacon. I like ham, Jeff. Sorry, ham and coleslaw. You know, I, you know, I bet Dum Dum Dugan also really loves ham. Listen, we got our segue. We don't need okay. <laughs> a double segue. Segue already. Uh, Journey into Mystery, Birth of Krakoa, number one by Dennis Hopeless and Yubril Morissette Vaughn. I don't know. Ask me how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, you're kind of from that world, aren't you? I am. I'm from the House of Ideas. Yeah. <laughs> the Whispering um, House of Ideas. It's Whiskers. <laughs> Listen, you you guys know about uh, Krakoa, right? The uh, Krakwa. Uh, not to be confused with Krakatoa. Krakwa. The island that walks like a man. Oh. Krakwa. Krakatoa? 
What's, no. what's Croatoa? Cro- Croatia is a country, <laughs> and you're disrespecting it, Django. It's no, Kakwa. it's a hundred hundred bullets thing, right? What? Didn't they activate the agents with a secret word that if they saw it or heard it, they would be they would turn into awesome super killers? And I think it was. I don't Listen, think I'm I about to move anymore. us to I Domino. I don't, if I don't we think don't I ever. <laughs> I don't think I ever read a hundred bullets. Krakoa is the island that traps the original X-Men that the new X-Men get sent to to rescue. It's this uh, kind of big, uh, important figure in the in the Marvel Universe, particularly for the X-Men, but similar to Web of Venom, Venom, we kind of we take a trip back to, to Nick Fury, the Howling Commandos, what all that shit they're getting up to. Do you I don't think even that know the if introduction is... of more Nick Fury stuff is leading to something? I bet we see Nick oh, Fury back so. soon. Probably. Uh, no, he's in Exiles. He's watching. Yeah. Why doesn't he just have a fucking LMD on Earth while he's being Uatu or whoever the fuck You're he is right, up on the moon? Good, that's a good idea. Well, he controls He ran LMDs. out of LMDs. <laughs> Bullshit. I reject <laughs> that notion. Yes. You never you, run Jeff. out of LMDs, you robot. <laughs> is that his superpower? That's exactly what a robot would say. Yeah, there's a story. Yeah, there's a story there because yeah, even though Shield was dissolved, we- did they liquidate all their LMDs? No, they've got to be sitting around somewhere. Domino number six. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the ones. <laughs> Listen, this is me and Roman's book. And sorry, we- sorry, sorry. Hang out in the hang out in it. <laughs> uh, no, Nick's Nick's flying his hell commandos after a long day of war. They're all sleepy and tired, and he he takes a shortcut. Uh, on the shortcut, he sees uh, another plane drop a nuclear bomb on an island, uh, you know, because that's what they did in World War II. They were testing bombs and shit. Um, and they catch some of it, I guess, and they crash on the island, and they're all freaking out, like, oh, the island's poison. I know what's happening here. We're going to die. Um, then the island starts getting real fucked up, turns them into, like, moss men and shit. Uh, Nick gets, like, eaten. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty fun wild ride until Nick convinces the island that they're cool, and uh, that they'll piss off if the island kind of just fixes itself and uh, lets them go. Is this like that movie with Padme in it, where she went into the shimmery thing and started turning into annihilation. a plant? Annihilation. Yeah, I guess. That, that that big old page looks like annihilation. Yeah, it's got some annihilation-esque uh, stuff going on. Too bad um, she didn't have Nick Fury with her. Mm. The main thing I liked about this was that it, um, I mean, it's still read like a, a cool modern comic but they there's a lot of uh narration boxes that feel very uh 60s 70s older mm. style comics like from when a story like this would normally have been published and it's just you know talking about the characters uh like this one just says dum dum dugan has run out of lassatel he can see the bright green truth growing across gabe's face just like stuff like that like lurid and, it, and it's not like uh it's not overdone either. It's like it used to be. Like on, it's not on like every other panel, but when it's there, it's got that same tone, and that mm. was really kind of fun and nostalgic to read. Um, One of the things I liked in this um, that you kind of gone on to here, the pacing. There's no there's no heavy exposition like mm-hmm. the scene when they're they just left some other combat situation like 40 minutes beforehand. They're flying to their next their next mission, and on and Nick's piloting the bomber. And um, and I fell for this too. The way they write it, it's just his dialogue. He radios into headquarters, and he starts telling them there's an electrical storm they're entering. It might delay them. And he starts flicking a toggle switch to the radio, mm-hmm. and so he totally fakes out headquarters. Tells them, oh, it's good. this is going to delay us like a couple hours, and then he just mentions, you know, he 
doesn't like to lie, but he wanted to give his men a chance to get some another forty winks, decompress. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Even though he's he also is exhausted, but he's going to fly an extra two hours so his men can be sharp. Also, like the first po- first couple of pages, they show him he's got uh, his uh, left eye or his right eye, our left eye, completely obscured. Oh. Yeah, um, he still got it in there, but you you don't see it. And it's like that's smart. It's that's a nice cool it's a nice kind of uh, nod, like hey, I know his hair is totally brown right now, but it is Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah, right. a little foreshadowing. I had to look that up actually because because <clears throat> of that scene. Because I was like, when did he lose his eye? And mm-hmm. it was an earlier mission with the commandos during World War II. Grenade. He, he his eye was injured, mm-hmm. but it was okay. But then it slowly deteriorated over years till he finally lost vision in it completely, and then he had to. Had the eye patch after the war. Till he had to look like a badass. Yeah, more of a badass. Like a badass. Yeah, this was a fun issue, and they get to the yeah. island, and the one commando, Izzy, had a buddy in intelligence that showed him some photos of some nuclear test bomb sites, and yeah. so Izzy's freaked out. Yeah, he's he, losing his he's shit. He's the only one that knows what what these bombs do. So when they wash up on shore, and he actually fell asleep, and he washes up, and he's on the beach, and he starts freaking out, and the guys don't know really what's. They think it's just shell shocked, but. It's it's pretty suspenseful. Yeah, I was surprised. It was a it was a tale filled with suspense. Mm. I thought it was and a mystery. journey into mystery. Yeah, mm. suspense and mystery. So what do you guys a give? Suspenseful it? journey. I would give this uh, a nine out of ten. I thought it was a very well done comic. Mm. Uh, super cool one shot about a cool character. Mm. I would also give it a nine. Yeah. There's even a second to last panel where Nick looks back at the island and there's kind of a couple eyes peering out of the out of the mountainside. It's it's cute. Fuck it, I'm out of here. Hey Django, <laughs> are you doing all right over there? I'm fine, Jeff. Django, you look a little sick, Django. Well, you know what I wish we could do? You want a cookie, don't you? I don't want a cookie. I'm you trying not to eat too much sugar. I might eat that pizza over there. Get That's that also not very good belly. for my cold, but you know what I really want more than anything? What? I want to hear about Domino number 6. Yeah. Domino, I don't even know who wrote domino. it. Who drew it? Roman will always do a little domino song for you when it's mentioned, so there's that. That's when when domino. you mentioned domino? Domino. Domino. Man. That's the domino? only part of the song I know. Man. Domino. What a good segue. Tell me about it, Braden. Uh, Gelsmon, uh David Baldeon, and Jesus Arbotov. Arbotov? Something like that. Um, I don't. I think uh, I'm the only one here reading this one still, but uh, I like it a lot. Um, it's it's funny and like it's like equal parts like kind of light and funny, but also pretty dark um, and comes stems from a lot of uh, Domino's origin as kind of this uh, like experiment uh, that's been like tortured kind of and has a pretty rough upbringing. There's characters from that that are kind of the villains in this. Uh, there's, I don't know, there's not a whole lot we need to talk about, but it's... Do they still have that cartoonish southern accent in it? Um, Outlaw? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Um, which I think is fun. I like it. I uh, don't like it. <laughs> well, then... I like the book. I really like the art. I don't like it. All right. I don't like it. Did you collect my wolf tickets? Are you passing those out? I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't Mm. like that. Sorry. I like it. (laughs) I don't like it. (laughs) I like it. Um, 
she's this uh this is the culmination of this arc um and it gets to that point in every uh superheroes arc where they uh the sun's getting low. The sun's getting low. Their <laughs> their villain. They just had the big fight with their nemesis, um, and the nemesis is on on their knees, and the hero has to decide if they're gonna kill them or not. Um, and it's this really kind of cool uh, struggle she has with it. And Shang Chi's there, and he's all like, "Hey, don't do it, because I'm a good guy." Um, Fist of Kung Fu. And then like it's got her with like the gun pointed at her in the panels, and then. As she's like about to pull the trigger, the next panel is totally black and just has uh, three lines of words that just says, "And then I fired all twelve rounds. I can still hear them." And like, it doesn't show her like shooting her at all. Like, I don't know. I thought it was really cool and an interesting way to handle uh, a scene that's been done a million times before. Um, and we're sure that oh yeah, we're sure she didn't shoot the dirt. Yeah, no. Um, and yeah, it's. It was rough, um, but she did it, and like you could tell why she did it, and like you could resonate with her her reasons. Um, is this the end of the series? No, um, as far as I know, this is ongoing. Um, so there's an annual coming up next, and then more next month. But have yeah. they kept the same artist throughout? I think so. That's at, the guy who did at, the first issue, at least for most of it. Um, I don't recall ever there being a fill-in artist on any of the books, but yeah, uh, I'm digging it. I like it a lot. Uh, nine out of ten again. I like um, it. Quality I really comic. Like, I like the art in the first issue quite a bit. I, yeah, that was I, that I was my favorite part. Of it. I think the art's gorgeous. Yeah, a little little Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti <laughs> look to it. Yeah, but a little shinier maybe. Yeah. Hey, well, Jeff, did you read anything? Didn't you guys big? need to get cheered up? Anybody oh, need a nice... I, I could do some cheery, sunny... Hey, why don't you take that baggage you got there, Roman? Mm-hmm. Put it on my shoulders. Let me carry okay. that with you yeah, for yeah, a second. Yeah. Here you go. Here you go. Oh, that's the sound effect of camaraderie. <laughs> this place um, is basically a Foley room. <laughs> a hell in a cell? <laughs> because uh, Mick Foley. Listen, there's, there's a big divide on this table here today. About where the word Foley is lying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I agree. Brayden and I are right. Um, Cactus Jack. We're, we're all right. Cactus Jack, bud, dude love. Um, I, did, I read a big old thing this week. Um, I read the graphic novel that came out, H.P. Lovecraft, He Who Wrote in Darkness, by... Nikolavich, Gervasio, Aeon, and Lee. Um, I don't know if they have first names. It's four names. Nikolavich. I don't... I didn't... Nikolavich? I couldn't find a first name anywhere in here. Um, That's not the point. The point is H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, And this was a pretty cool... It's not often that we get a chance to, like, read a graphic novel, but uh, for some reason I read some of my issues this week, and I was just particularly compelled to read this story about H.P. Lovecraft that has a very good Stephen King quote on the front. I remember, like, at the old store, Roman, you mentioning something about H.P. Lovecraft, and it really interested me to, like, go online and learn about how, like, really sad and fascinating that guy's life was. And um, so this is much, much less to do with any of the books he wrote and more to do with him as a person. And it's very art-based and not super text-driven. A lot of the text is composed of 
correspondence that he had kept. He had written, they estimated 100,000 letters by the time he died. Um, it was the main way that he interacted with people. So How many has, words is that? It's a lot of words, Django. I'm trying to fucking do a thing over here, my dude. <laughs> what is this, all right? Like I'm twisting my hair, like fucking in the middle of something, man. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it was, it was like a super downer. Uh, he's super interesting, but uh, what is interesting with him is just kind of how depressing his story was. He was like a real racist, spiteful, sort of small person in terms of his human-to-human uh, -human interaction. His father was committed to an institution when he was very young. His mom uh, also committed to an institution much later in his life after being uh, kind of coddled by her. And he just wasn't a healthy person, and ultimately he got stomach cancer and passed away. But he was contemptuous of most people around him, so he spent time, like almost all of his time alone. He uh, was a real indoor boy, which I'm on board with. So, But he, he didn't like to have sunlight on him. And it's just really interesting. What, what is particularly depressing is that he lived most of his life relatively unknown and died totally unappreciated and just a small person and he created these really huge ideas really early on that influenced a huge number of people and uh, he's widely considered you know the greatest horror writer out there <clears throat> and it's fascinating um just to, to hear about somebody who does that but also just dies virtually unknown in their own life and he's just like totally unable to take credit for anything and not self-promoting and contemptuous of the people that are and wouldn't like he was the main thing in the way of his own success and it's just uh, a, a really interesting character study of a really interesting person who did some fantastic stuff but prevented themselves from really ever doing anything fantastic with that the art was cool it, it it reminded me a lot of like the art in that Feynman biography by uh, First Second Press. I really like biographical graphic novels. I love, and, and this is like a real, it's like 120 pages, but you can sit down and read it within an hour. Um, really, really, I like people stories. And this was a fluid people story, it covered a wide range of time and opened uh, a door to view someone that is just an anomaly and is still kind of an anomaly. And that, there's not a lot of uh, anomaly people nowadays because uh, the media and the internet, like, there's just too many records of everything. Whereas this person, there's just not. I love those people that, you know, I, I sort of feel like Nirvana was the last band that could lie in the press, you know? Like, <laughs> there was, like, a different Kurt Cobain biography for every magazine that interviewed him. and But since then, everybody wants coverage, wants everything. So everything is tracked, everything is... Uh, you know, interviewed and questioned to death, so there's not a lot of mystery around things. And this uh, just sort of plays to the other side of that. So I really liked it. If you're interested in Lovecraft at all, you should check it out. If you're interested in just a sort of uh, cool biography, horror biography, this is a cool one. It doesn't necessarily show you a lot about where he got the ideas to do the stories that he's well known for, but there's, it's, it's interesting to just see how that person could exist. When did his stories become? When did his stories transcend him? Because like question. the King in Yellow was not written by him, yeah. right? And it was kind of inspired by his writing. Was there? And that came out in yeah. Well, the well the actual centerpiece story or play or whatever the King in, the actual thing called the King in Yellow uh -huh. that was an earlier writer, and then he wrote 
the rest of the story around that story. Lovecraft wrote the story around the King in Yellow? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, like, when did he become somebody that everybody is inspired by? Because there's so much Lovecraft stuff I don't know. I don't know if it was in the 20s or after his death. Cause, it cause had his been court. after his death because he died totally broke. He inherited yeah. a fortune from his grandfather and died totally yeah, and broke. And he was corresponding with guys like August Derleth and Robert, Robert e. Howard and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were all like feeding each other and inspiring each other. But he died in 37, which doesn't leave oh, a huge amount of time right. for him to be like, it must have happened relatively soon after he died and he must it must have escalated quickly yeah and at this point because guys writers like august derleth added to his it wasn't called this then but added to his cthulhu mythos with their own writing they expanded it and and now that helped it become what it is now just kind of out there you can use it right yeah i think so yeah it might be like yeah public domain yeah i wouldn't be surprised i mean alice in wonderland is probably I would Sherlock think, Holmes is. I mean, Mickey Mouse isn't, but... Right, my I, guess would be, like, the 60s is when it really entered the public consciousness. Yeah. So, like, uh, the Illuminatus trilogy, I think, has some Cthulhu hmm. references in there. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was uh, impactful enough to, to bring more attention to it. Yeah. yeah. And Brian Lumley, I know he added a bunch to it in the 70s, I think. So I gave the book. Uh, I give it. Uh, I give it a nine. Cool. It was. It was really good, and it really sufficiently bummed me out in the way that I heavily identified it with a really unhappy person. And uh, if you can give emotions, even if they're bad emotions, yeah, like emotions from fiction, that's an almost an automatic nine for me. Yeah, and that's really what it was. Like, and I, I totally agree with that. If a thing effectively makes me feel and different like you know i thought i was gonna feel ooky while reading it but it did but it made me do it It, it's never good ooky feeling never happens in the way you think it will it's like Mm -hmm. it just puts you in an emotional space that then causes your brain to latch on to its own anxious ideas it's not a single anxious idea that you're being fed it's like it puts you in a place where you're susceptible to other ones and maybe that's particularly the cthulhu old gods themselves exposing you to concepts because they're living ideas and not single um cemetery beach and then maybe we'll do some social work i don't think it's called social work but i think that's a good idea we'll link up we'll link up with the social networks i i've been really into playing no but rather than yes and it's it's a no but no but what i want to do yeah (laughs) Uh, so no buts. Cemetery Beach number one by Warren Ellis with uh, Jason Howard write, uh, drawing and phonographics lettering. I guess Jason Howard colored it too. We got a new Warren Ellis book on the stands, everybody. That's pretty cool. Warren Ellis is a guy that wrote some big stuff back in the day. Same artist as Trees? Oh, I right? didn't read Trees, so I don't know, but I really sure. liked the art. Roman, did you check this one out? I did not. Okay. I, I was going to wait to see what you guys thought of it. I had no expectations for it. I, I didn't even think that I was going to particularly care about it. Uh, I don't. I really like good Warren Ellis, but he has a pretty wide body of work, and it's pretty easy for him to put stuff out that I don't care about. Yeah. Um, so I was ready for this to be in that category, and like after two pages, like three pages of in- being introduced to this protagonist, I was like pretty won over by like whatever 
kind of charm he had and Warren Ellis's ability to write this really human interaction um, where this person's being interrogated and you learn about this alternate history event and he kind of just wants a hand-rolled cigarette from this guy the whole time. And I really liked the sketchy, liney art. They, the lines and shade and shadow expanded beyond the panels a lot of the time. And it gives it just a, a real workman feel. Like, yeah. it's it just... it. It feels like somebody who's really good at cartooning. I think that this artist is really good at what they do, like telling a story. You know, the the, the times where it expands outside of the panels gives me kind of a like a God damn it! What's it called when you have a movie storyboard? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it gives me a real storyboard vibe. I wouldn't be surprised if he does like, yeah, Hollywood storyboard work. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. <clears throat> Brandon, what do you think? I thought it was a pretty solid action flick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I don't know, I'm used to a little more wordiness from Warren Ellis, which I like. He's got some weird, cool ideas that I like to play with. Uh, and this is a cool, weird uh, kind of setting that I'm definitely curious about. But yeah, it was just kind of like a nice, fun ride in this sci-fi action movie yeah and I, I i think that's a pretty good assessment of it i think that there's some big cool alternate history stuff going on here that he's just sort of slowly giving to us but he's doing it in a really mm-hmm. well done way like he's not using a ton of words but the ones he is using uh allude to this larger thing always yeah. so it, the whole thing kind of just kept me wanting to read more to answer these questions I really like the art, and what I thought was really unique about it is I noticed like two thirds of the way through it that there's no sound effect words in the whole issue. Oh yeah. And I only noticed that because somebody like fired something and I went, and I was like, whoa, (laughs) why did I make a sound? I was like, whoa, there's no sounds written here. Yeah, um, he shows them all real well. Yeah, he does. He shows them all really well. And did you catch the panel where um, she's driving and her word balloon goes behind the windshield? No. Oh, that's it, awesome. Yeah, it, it added uh, an good. amount of depth to the to huh, the page cool. that I've never really experienced before. And I, I really like, you know, the whole alternate history they're dealing with. A colony was established because some scientists figured out a way to do off-world travel, and this colony seems to be totally removed from the Earth, and people there were all asking the, the prisoner, like, oh, what is it like there now? And they all have these sort of older... Uh, retro feels that are holdovers from the 20s when this was founded and and there's just this really cool mystery established at the end with like the president of this colony and yeah yeah it's so just this huge obese guy writing on a typewriter like what's he writing what why is he like that what's he so freaked out about what All is work this? and no play yeah Stefan he's writing chapter 283 <clears throat> of something yeah so I was just pretty impressed with the art um, it's like it's it's more on the nose than I think Warren Ellis usually is. Yeah, which I appreciated because I don't always want a huge mystery. Like sometimes I just want access to Warren Ellis's ideas. So this did that really well. I give it an eight point five. Hmm. I'd give it an eight. 
Uh, and it's worth noting that this is a seven-issue series, okay. according to Diamond. So it's not an even number. Nope, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I think actually a bunch of his uh, Avatar stuff was seven fibers? issues. Huh. Sevens or fibers? Sevens, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go with the seven point five. Uh, uh, gets a point five alone just for that opening action scene where the guy first jumps over the table and strangles the guy. Like that was really cool. The way that they just did that really casual conversation, and you're sort of like, "Where is this going?" And then, at like they didn't do like, "Oh, this is comic book, so we're going to show you that he's sneaking this strategy or something." It's just like right out of nowhere, from panel to panel. Dude is freaking out and flipping out of this situation, yeah. and it's awesome. Yeah, it startles you. It's cool. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm gonna read this now. Get it? Do you hear that? It's the pigeon. It's the pigeon hounds. They got. They need you to. Um, 90 <laughs> seconds. Just, it's your turn now, Brayden. Go! Uh, There's a lot of comics I read this week, a lot of ones I enjoyed, but the only one I think I really fucking loved Ooh. was Sleepless, number seven. Sort of a new arc. It's back from the break. Um, it's just as good as it always has been. Um, like, it's just super cool political intrigue in this fantasy world that doesn't really play up the fantasy of it at all, which is really cool. Um, gorgeous art. By uh, Lila DeLuca. Um, I'm super happy this series is back, and I am can't wait to see where it goes. It's got a cool twist at the end that I was very happy with. Um, it was great. 10 out of 10. Love that book. Um, I also read Exiles number 8, which was awesome. Uh, Saladin Ahmed and Joe Quinones. Um Oh, the, the Exiles are on trial for messing with the multiverse by these, like, rogue watchers who don't meddle, but they meddle when other people meddle. It's kind of weird. Um, but particularly cool about this issue is they bring back uh, Captain America Peggy Carter and uh, Becky Barnes and uh, Black Panther from Wild West, just known as King, um, and... It looks like those three are like on the team now, which is great because they were all super cool characters that showed up. Um, I love them. I give this issue probably an 8 out of 10. Very cool issue. Mm. How about Becky Barnes? Sweet. She's awesome. She's really good in this. Yeah. And you get her origin. Cool. Are those guys on the cover supposed to be Charlie Brown watchers? <laughs> uh, they're supposed to be watchers. Um, but yeah, they do that. They have the Charlie Brown line. Yeah. So, yes, you're correct. <clears throat> I know. Good job, <laughs> I know. Good job, Charles Schultz, inventing a Marvel character 100 years ago. So is Galactus the one that pulls the football away? <laughs> um, you could say that, but you could also say, go now, Jeff. I'm going now, <laughs> Jeff. Amazing Spider-Man number five. This is the end of the Ryan Otley arc. I think that I really like this series a lot. Um, sort of a just sort of back to where we were with issue one thing, but I think that the whole purpose of this arc was separating Peter and then establishing that Mary Jane does want the sort of Peter with his divided Spider-Man focus. Uh, Smooths out out a lot of uh, complaints you could have about the 15 years where she did not want that. I really like this series, um, given that issue. uh, An 8.5, not super pumped for the art to change next issue. I really like Detective Comics by James Robinson, 988. Um, New arc, big mystery, great 
great art in it. Um, James Robinson writes a really good Batman story. It got a little action-y for me, but I'm interested to see where it's gonna go. It's worth mentioning that Spider-Man number, th or Superman number three, uh, I did not, I liked it more than number two, but this Superman series I like way, way, way less than the action comic series. I don't like the art nearly as much. That's probably a really big part of it, but this whole like Phantom Zone thing, nothing quite adds up and it just makes me feel like things aren't very believable and I don't necessarily want that. So I give this a five, I give number two a four. Hot Lunch Special number two, really liked this. Hot Lunch Special number two by Aftershock. This is that weird meatpacking gang murder mystery book that is just, Midwest crime, and I really like it, and I like the family dynamics, and there's some really great sequences. The art is phenomenal, great comic booking, great family stuff. Really good book. Can't wait to read more of it. Did you think Superman was an asshole in this issue? I think Superman was an asshole. I think Batman was a joke. I think yeah. that there's just all sorts of problems with it. I, I And I have to believe that I really like Bendis, that I have to believe <clears throat> that there is a reason that none of this stuff feels... Right. right. Yeah, like it's just, I hope something bigger is going on. Did you read this, Roman? I did. How did you feel about it? Um, I need to look at one really quick. I I think I liked this one, <clears throat> up, uh, except for, as usual, the, st the stuff about Rogel Czar, because, you know, I just don't care about him. But I like the return of Jack Sir, because, yeah, he's supposed to be, like, the worst Kryptonian villain ever. Um, I see what you mean about there's some odd stuff with things quite fitting together with the entire planet Earth being in the Phantom Zone. It's a little big know. and dumb and clunky. It's, yeah, it's I thought clunky, it was silly it? that, I mean, I thought I liked the fact that Earth's atmosphere is being poisoned just by being in the Phantom Zone and all, everybody's experiencing that, though I thought it was kind of silly that Batman's like passed out drunk on the toilet throwing up because it's like, come on, he'd have some kind of bat. But, so yeah, there's that. There's that. Um, so I give... Amazing Spider-Man, 8.5. I give Detective Comics a 7.5. Superman, a 5. And Hot Lunch Special, number 2, um, an 8.5. Holy moly. Yeah. I got I got some other books for you to read, buddy. Nice. More crime books. Better yeah. take 90 seconds, Roman, you big old guy. Archie, 1941, issue number 1 by Brian Augustine and Mark Wade with art by Peter Krause. This really surprised me because I guess, I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking it was going to be kind of Archie. Mark Wade's version of Archie in the 40s, just the Archie comics. No, this is a serious story. The River to Get Gang all graduates high school, and Archie's sad. He's not quite sure why, but America's about to enter World War II, um, and Archie doesn't isn't able to vocalize that, but he's feeling, he doesn't know what to do after high school, and he's watching these newsreels about the war, and it's all pretty heavy, serious stuff. Got Pops, like, muttering to himself, oh, God, I hope these kids don't, you know, go off to war. I was going to buy my milkshake. And Betty, as usual, is wonderful. In any version, Betty is just so wonderful. So as a surprise, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the comic. This was a big surprise to me because I didn't think it would work. They came up with a gimmick where they stick the guys and the robots into old, goofy, and sometimes classic comics, and they come up with a, a gimmick where there's a little tiny dot on like Tom Servo's put in this comic, he's the main character, and when they add their own dialogue in, their own joke dialogue, there's a little dot to clue you in that it's a joke and it's not part of the original comic. And it's really it works well. It's very clever. It's funny. The in this first comic that Tom Servo's in, the the main female character, she's kind of in love with the character Tom Servo's taking the place with, and he's riffing on that. 
I haven't seen somebody do something that new yeah. with comic booking in a long time. Like, yeah. I didn't love the Mystery Science Theater book, but just the inventiveness to get that concept into a comic and have it make sense and have you picking apart these old shitty comics and trying to figure out, like, what did they really say in place of these word balloons? Like, I... I was impressed more than I liked it. Oh, uh, I will give that a 7.5. Okay. Fucker. Uh, your minute and a half is going Rats. right now. I, I, went, I went over so I wanted to talk about this, but... You sure? Jango will talk about the wrong oh, earth. Fuck. Is it really going? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. No, uh, I'm just kidding. It's going down. Give okay. your, give your rating you. to your Low nose blow. Road West, number one, one by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Flaviano, and Mikel Muerto. Uh, this was a bunch of kids on a bus through the post apocalyptic wastelands, and they, of course, run into some trouble. The bus runs out of gas, and they're kind of abandoned, and kind of magical, strange things start to happen. I really like this. It felt like um, kind of like a sci-fi version of No Mercy, which was an image book that I'd never finished, but it was a, a similar setup, but in the real world. Did the creators even finish it? Uh, I don't even know. Uh, Poser by Matt Miner, Clay McCormick, and Doug Garbach, Garbark. This is punk rock AF um, horror. Like, really good punk rock comic, really good horror comic. Apparently, this is doing something on the speculator market uh, because it's already been picked up by a TV show. I also, quote unquote, read The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 36, which was a wordless issue. Um, it was interesting. It uh, had, had some good, good gags, lots of ghost stuff. Um, I think this is a, a really good comic. If, if we had 100 of these, we would put them in the hands of kids who would enjoy them. Uh, I also read Farmhand number three. Still good. Extra twists. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that this book is seems to be a lot more than it presented itself as originally. And it's going to be like 25 or 30 issues, which is a relief. This poser book looks fucking awesome. Yeah, it's great. I don't it's, know why I ordered it. I'm going to Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl, I would give a... I'd give that a 7 for me and probably a 9 for other people. I give Farmhand uh, an eight. Low Road West. And Low Road West, right. I would give a solid seven. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about Low Road West. Yeah, it was it was good. I, I didn't ever want to not be reading it while I was reading it. Django, will you take us to Flavor Town? And by flavor, I mean those perfectly garlicky, buttered, crusted uh, opinions and thoughts from the people that we know and love that Are come you? into our store. And um, I'm just trying to buy you time while you find. Dude, I already got the haiku loaded. Oh, nice. Uh, do you guys, do you know Dino? Dino. Sometimes he goes by X20D. Dino Rossi. Or D23. Oof. All right, Oof. give him a new one. Give him a new one. He's going to love it. <laughs> Weapon D. Um, uh, oh, that's Roman. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm not good at those. Dino Badger? I'm not Brayden. Dino sent an email in to us. It says, hi, guys. Hi, hi. guys. Did he scare you? He always scares me. He's he's got a very quick, silent to loud filter. He says, "Hi guys, remember when you were doing haikus?" Oh no! Here's a haiku for 
Jeff. Do you know what it is? X23. Paper stock. Oh. <laughs> paper stock convo. DC paper stock. Oh, the feel on my fingers. Marvel, step it up. Ooh. So he's out. into it. He likes it. I like that. According to that haiku, he likes it. Now, D23 is in the way, in the middle of making his way all the way through the podcast. I think he finished it, didn't he? I don't know that he did. He's getting real close. He's getting very close. A <clears throat> hundred episodes almost. Yeah. Um, does he have any more voices for us? Any more voices? Like a voicemail? Yeah. He sure does. Oh, God. He's got to get that X-23 minute. Listen, you can do this, too. Please do this. Everybody, hey, James Burke, you wonderful, wonderful man. I'm looking at you, and I'm actually looking at Django when I say that. Um, but I'm <laughs> I really... feel weird. <laughs> I feel weird, guys. <laughs> that wasn't a James Burke impersonation. I love James Burke. Call us. Give us a call, James. Give us a call. Email us. Any James. Any James out there. If your name's James and you're listening to this, I want to hear from you. Dino, what do you got to say? Hi, guys. It's X20D. Ew. This is the big number 99. I'm just cuckoo for your show. Speaking of cuckoo, X23 number four came out this week. The series is still excellent. The art is beyond stellar, but this issue was a little confusing. But hopefully... Number five will clear up what's going on. I guess we'll find out next month. The real reason I'm calling, I have a question for you guys. You guys all get the same question, so listen up. If you could write a Marvel What If book or a DC Elseworlds book, what would be the story arc and what characters would you use? Good luck. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Bye. Uh, I know. Sweet, I already know my answer. I know my answer too because I was thinking about it in my car on my way up here. I just wish Dino was writing my life. Dude, <laughs> that guy needs to be writing a sitcom. Like, he yeah. needs to be writing a television show. Yep, and then Brayden can punch it up. Oh. Like, imagine, imagine Dino writing a bunch of puns and then Brayden doubling them. <laughs> um, Roman, what's, your, what's yours? What's mine? Um, well. And it's all copyright and trademark me like seven years ago. Uh, <laughs> so don't steal my fucking dope idea. But it's okay because DC's already, I think, Grant Morrison, somebody already cop- already did kind of a version of it and did it better. My idea was going to be the, the JLF, the Justice League of Freaks. And it was all the weird characters, you know, uh, Creeper, Black or- Orchid. Um, Chicken Head Eater. No. Dupe. That's Marvel. <laughs> I like the him, stalker. Like I was going to have the stalker uh-huh. in there because his deal in the setting, he was always he was stalking around looking for his stolen soul. Would you put Boy Plastic and, Man and be in there? Plastic Man's in there, but Stalker and Ragman are in there specifically so I could have Stalker and Ragman always fighting because Stalker was convinced ra- his soul was in Ragman's cloak of souls, and Ragman was always like, "No, it's not here, dude. I Braden? keep looking." TM 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 TM. Oh. Um, I forget who their leader was, but yeah, Plastic Man was in there, and they're just their main thing. It was kind of like Doom Patrol. Their main problem, their main conflicts were with all with each other, and they were always fighting each other. And no other heroes respected them because they're all outcasts and weirdos. And I want to be clear: uh, as soon as he said JLF, I flashed back to five years ago when I was hired at the store, and Roman would trap me in the corner and tell me about <laughs> his pitched comic ideas. And the Justice League of Freaks was one he told me about a long time ago. I've got a write-up somewhere on my computer. How do you spell it? Is it F R E A K S or is it F R E X? 
I thought it was F-R-E-E-K-S. So I was thinking on my way home, obviously because I read that Lovecraft book, I want an Elseworld story of Batman battling the Cthulhu new, like old gods, but like just old conceptualizations of fear or anxiety and like the living embodiment of ideas. And I was just like picturing him wrestling with uh, these conceptual sort of psychological meta wars. Um, and then I liked the idea of maybe it turning out that it was Scarecrow. Uh, Did you read The Doom That Came to Gotham? No. I think that was Cthulhu things coming to Gotham. Oh, so, so try again, Bunyola. Yeah. Okay, okay, no, okay, no, okay, I don't, okay, th- I don't okay. think it was just okay, conceptual. Okay, okay, so <laughs> what no, if... Yours is con- it's conceived better, because I read that too, and it was very disappointing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like Squid Monster comes to Gotham. Woo! Yeah, yeah, no, I want like I want I want Batman face to face with, you know, the moral obligation to fulfill uh moral things he has to do because of ideological reasons that don't stand uh true to who he is or like losing his identity <clears throat> through uh, you know the these this sort of meta fifth dimensional conceptual war that he's waging, and nice. I pictured him uh, sweating in bed, shirtless, writhing around for a lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> cool. I want to read it. Yeah. What do you boys got? Uh, all, all I can think of is uh, what if uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl was actually canon. That's a real bummer. That's <laughs> and the answer is, I think life would be a lot better. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> Man, I was so busy listening to you guys. What do you got, Jailboy? I don't know. Listen, Jailboy. What if the uh, Shadow and the Batman teamed up? <laughs> like, I guess what if... If the Shadow finally got out of Batman's shadow? Oh. Uh, uh. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> he stumped me. I love seeing you He stumped. goddamn stumped me. Welcome to my house of whiskers. <laughs> <laughs> um, what if first, uh, first what if what if Old Man Logan owned a comic shop? Yeah. <laughs> what like what if Old Man Logan was in the DC universe, or like what if? Have we talked about how I would like to hear musicians do their own songs, but from the wrong era? So like. I'd like to hear Tom Waits do one of his old songs as if he had written it today. So one of his old guitar and piano songs, like jazzy little quiet, like Leonard Cohen sounding song, done banging on a boiler and kicking a a radio flyer wagon down the stairs. Do you <laughs> but does like he if, actually do that because you're always talking about him banging on boilers and kicking <laughs> stoves and I'm like what fucking songs are these? Yeah. He does. Yeah, he does. A, a couple of his albums were recorded in a place that he couldn't get the sound he wanted so he's so like he's yeah, a, we're going to the basement. He's a Trent Reznor wannabe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Trent Reznor was, uh, or the, the, Tom, Tom Waits was, was based on highly Trent influenced Reznor. by the industrial uh, effects of Nine Inch Nails. But I was thinking the other day, the, the Elseworlds I would like to see would be Watchmen handed over to a different artist, or like, Gary like Frank. No, no. Somebody, somebody <laughs> that you wouldn't. Watchmen given to Riley Rossimo. That would be fucking awesome. Right? Or, like, what Just if... so, like, the actual book just redrawn by somebody else? Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. So, I, I guess it's not really an Elseworlds or a what if, but it's... it's a reimagining? Like, here's just you a take new this collaboration. Script. I yeah. love that idea. And, and I don't know if I would... 
want that collaboration to be to the extent where Riley Rossmo is allowed to talk to Alan Moore while he works on it, or if it's just like, here's a script, good luck, fucker. I, I think that, but then also I'm like, how the fuck do you sell that? Like, everyone would read issue number one, and then the drop-off for number two would be like, everyone would just be like, do I really want to... Oh, yeah. Reread all of the Watchmen drawn by somebody. You'd have to release it as an OGN. No, this is this is exactly the opposite of what anybody wants. Uh, but it's I, I think it'd be Americana. really interesting. Shitty Watchmen. Shitty Watchmen is a, is a good example yeah. of that. Um, that's not really what Dino asked, but I think it's an I'm fresh out of uh, exciting juice mm, tonight. No Dino points for you tonight. <laughs> Listen, uh, what if all Batman knew how to do was collect wolf tickets from Superman? Superman doesn't hand out wolf tickets. Uh, did you read Superman number three this week, buddy? I didn't. Superman's <laughs> a dick. Superman was given wolf tickets out. Hmm. Wow. I like it. Yeah, it was pretty good. That does it, right? Can I recommend The Wrong Earth number one? Yeah, talk about yeah. it. This, this was pretty cool. I think Ahoy Comics is, is a new company to watch, a new publisher to watch. Um, do you want me to say more? Well, yeah, I know Grant Morrison was on board, so I'm into that. Yeah, there's a Grant Morrison, the first part of a Grant Morrison, like, serialized adventure in the back that's kind of pulpy, but also kind of weird Grant Morrison-y, like, what the hell? Um, Now, I didn't read it. I flipped through it real quick, and I don't know much about it, but here's what I think it is. Tell me if I'm right. Okay. I think that it's basically DC superheroes from the Bronze Age and from... Like the dark, gritty, uh, late '80s, early '90s age, and they switch universes. Yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> basically yeah, a dragonfly man, and he's from like the actually six. He's basically '60s TV show Batman, right? And his partner, something happens, and dragonfly man '60s Batman TV show trades places with. Dark Age version of himself. The Dragonfly, right? Yeah, that's just Dragonfly. In fact, they make a point of that because yeah. his side, Dragonfly Man's sidekick actually goes through too and meets So this Dragonfly. is an Elseworlds. What if yeah, they switch Adam spots. West yeah. played Christian Bale? Frank Miller's Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. Comics is also putting out that <clears throat> Edgar Allan Poe Snifter of Terror book. Yeah, and actually they have... Snifter? They have a... What is that, the one, the Captain Ginger? Yeah. It's... it's He's like a pirate space cat or something, but he's yeah. got a crew of just regular cats, <laughs> and it looks adorable. <laughs> Django, are you all out? Wait, is that a buckshot noise? Are you no. all out of... We're doing more buckshots. Are you, all out of, are you all out of wolf tickets, Django? I'm not out of fucking wolf tickets, Jeff. We got an hour and a half left in the day, Jeff. I can hand out a handful, a fistful of wolfies. It's like the death <laughs> note. You keep writing it and using up those pages. It it just reveals, though. That's true. Django's life is like what? the death note. The what? Manga. <laughs> An anime. Manga? I was lost with the whole wolf ticket oh, thing. Oh, I, I thought it was manja. <laughs> it's manjo. Manja. Mange? I had that once. I played. What's mange? I played bass for Roman's mange in junior high. <laughs> hey, Roman, can you tell me about your mange? No, because I don't really remember what it is. But it's, you did have mange. It was when you got all patchy the, the whole, and your hair th- fell th- There out. we go. Yeah, yeah, that's mange. Go review us. The end. I'm yeah. Django. If you could write a review for us or just like us or not like us or write a negative review or whatever, just give that those – put, put feedback on uh, iTunes or whatever podcast app that you have. That would be super good. Next week is episode 100. We would lo- we're going to do a long one, so set some time aside. Set some time aside.
We're doing a long hundredth episode. Get like like a six pack of your favorite LaCroix. We're gonna talk about mm. one hundred comics. Woohoo! One hundred writers, one hundred artists. One bring <laughs> all our top one hundred lists. Saboteur. Um, we're each gonna have twenty five questions to introduce to the group and we're gonna go through all one hundred. I'm not even gonna fart for the whole episode. One hundred farts gonna guaranteed. Real, that's gonna be the real feat. Well the Django will not make fart will not make fart. Will not make a portal. But April Fools. But oh, I was a fart for the whole episode. He's an April baby. <laughs> I was gonna say I'll be glad to fart for him. Uh, I'm Jeff, and I'm glad to fart for Roman as Django's proxy. <laughs> I'm Brayden, and I, I I don't believe in farting. I'm Django, and he sure as fuck do. <laughs> I, I'm Roman, I'm, and I'm actually gonna join Brayden's cult of no farting. Because you hold the poop in. Yes, I hereby <laughs> I hereby vow. That's, that's pretty yeah. simple. That Roman holds poop in. <laughs>